previously on Perfect Weekly. And welcome back to Perfect Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm Jen. I'm Lady Chi. And I'm Jen's mom. Hi, y'all. <laughs> How's it going? Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. We would never ever say Snape scathed. We would say Snape said scathingly. 640,000 years ago, that third of America blew up. Boys and girls, <laughs> there's a thing called erectile dysfunction. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, but there's also a thing called Petrificus Totalis. So Perfect I- Weekly, not only entertaining, but educational as well. <laughs> do you own a pig? No, but I do have a goat. Really? We don't have a lawnmower. <laughs> What's the goat's name? Bernard. Oh my god, I'm not gonna lie. I have to I have no idea what's going on. Somebody explain to me what just happened. <laughs> have you been here the whole time? I've been here the whole time, but I can't remember what was just said. <laughs> oh my goodness. Poor Bernard was struck and killed by a bolt of lightning. <laughs> okay, you guys are the ones who obviously laugh during people's funerals. I wore a really big hat. And I run after my car. <laughs> I've just finished taking a test on what's your seduction style. I have got to take that test. I don't know what that noise was that came out of Gambin's mouth, but I think it caused some women in the audience to become infertile. Oh, I love the social intercourse so varied. It gets me so excited for the guy I married. This is like the Manhattan Project. Superman is Moses. Honestly, don't you people read? Okay, the two Superman is not Moses. Moses is dependent on Aaron. See, Batman depends on Robin. If you're going to do that, Moses the guy that was lost in the desert for like 40 years that just got inspired confidence and crime fighting ability. There's like auditoriums with movies that you can go in and sit and watch, not while on the toilet. There's no way we have wank. We don't care enough about the fans of to have wank. Swear to God, Ryan, if you ever, ever, ever make me cover a story with butt sex babies, I will kill you. Jen got pregnant on a boat. You know how hard it would be to impregnate yourself on a boat? Don't take offense to this, guys. You guys are the most dysfunctional people. These are really stupid people. Like, I have a lot to learn from these people. Come here, I'm so sorry. I just kicked my dog in the head. <laughs> and now. Potterfic Weekly. For July 11th, 2008, this is episode 50 of Potterfic Weekly. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. Where the story never ends. Hey, Ron, the next time you're freaked at me for calling you out on the Quidditch pitch, just remember that. Welcome back to Barfic Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm Lady Chi. This is Rena. And I'm Scott. Here's the deal, everybody. We started to record this episode uh, last week. We had some minor technical issues. <laughs> well, no, for Barfic Weekly, those are minor technical issues. Yeah, right? that's true. <laughs> Nobody was Nobody's house was blown up by a tornado. That was true. Uh, you know, it, it, there was no loss of uh, body fluids involved. It was just kind of, yeah. One of those nights where nothing went right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for example, Scott's, you know, podcasting equipment was working perfectly, aside from the fact that we couldn't hear a damn thing he was saying, to some degree. I mean, Mrs. Fig did. Wizards meet in a shop somewhere. Rena sounded like a Dalek at best. At best, when it sounded like a Dalek. Is that better? Is that better? No. No. Let me hang up on you and put you back in. Maybe that'll do (laughs) it. Okay, okay. (laughs) 
and we were actually going to leave it because we just thought this is new. We haven't tried this yet. And uh, Chi was was half podcasting and half doing other things. So at one point, she implied that Rena had an affair with one of her dogs. That was awkward. <laughs> okay, seriously, if y'all could see my dog right now, he looks so pitiful. <laughs> Which one is the one that you had sex with? That one? What? And, uh, you know, I, we think it was just a damn good podcast, but eventually we were there for 12 hours and decided to postpone. So we're back, and we are going yeah. to be discussing, you know, usually, like, Rena, do you remember in the beginning of this, we're like, okay, why don't we discuss the prologue in episode one, chapter one in episode two, we'll get to the next chapter, if we have time, in episode three. Like, remember that was our breakdown of the chapters? I remember... Yeah, but I think we did more than just one at a time. I think maybe we would be, you know, a little ambitious and do two at a time. Exactly. Well, tonight we're doing like 13 in like an hour and a half, so hang on tight. Yeah, we're going to do Living with Danger the fast, cheap, and easy way. This is true. It's going to be quite exciting. You know, Chi, it seems like that's not the first time you've used that phrase. (laughs) Fast, cheap, and easy? Yes. Yeah. Someone's in college. All right, so we are going to get to these chapters tonight. This is why I love Rinna here. Rinna is the only person that I apparently amuse greatly. I love standing next to her because it just makes me feel so good about myself. I have, well, you know, you have to pay the bills somehow, and that's all I'm saying. This is true. All right, so we're going to jump in. Fanfic welcome for the restricted section. All right, so some quick updates for uh, the pocket. This is obviously episode 50. Very exciting. We've done this actually mm-hmm. 64 times because we have 24. Okay, I can add. We have episodes, not really episodes, special editions. You know, there's one where Jen took a, a sex quiz. It's very exciting. So Parfic Weekly <laughs> has made it 64 episodes. Each episode is 12 and a half hours long, which means you can actually go to Jupiter and back and not run out of Parfic Weekly. We're very excited about that. Yeah, we're oh proud of ourselves. Speaking of that, like, I totally saw something on, um, like, MSN where they're predicting within the next, like, 20 years we'll have matter-antimatter engines for spacecraft. How okay, cool Okay, here's that? the thing. You all know by now that we are producing a second podcast, the Pufwa Exchange, and it is a podcast about, you know, fan fiction from other genres and, you know, books and, and movies and TV shows and all these other things that we want to branch out to. Rena is the other one of us that knows what a matter antimatter reactor does, and that's why I love Rena so much because I can talk Star Trek and Rena gets it. I'm so <laughs> excited. So, uh, for those of you who haven't listened to the Puffwa Exchange yet, uh, you know, go to puffwaexchange.com. I'm not going to tell you how to spell Puffwa; it's a secret. And P O U F W A, because there's people out there who were spelling it with the H. I think it's all the Brits. I'm not sure what's up with the H. There was no H in Pofwa. I yeah, when, when was the committee? When was the committee meeting to decide how to spell Pofwa? Because that is the most random spelling of that series of sounds I've ever. Everything seen Ryan there. posts does the O U. Everything anyone else does, does two O's. But there's a difference, though. I'm the one who bought the website, the Puffwa Exchange. I made the command decision. I win. So <laughs> there you Puffwa go. has no H in it. Ugh, it's so damn I've never spelled Puffwa with an H. Who spells Puffwa with an H? Everyone spells Puffwa with Well, you know what? I'm actually um, starting what? to spell color with the U in it because it makes me really? feel, you know, British. Those are fun. Yes, I do. Do you spell it with a U? Mm-hmm. You? Is that a Canadian thing or a British sounding thing? We sort of have a choice as far as Canada goes. It's like, spell it American or British just as long as you do the same through your whole essay. 
Okay, <laughs> so chapter eleven. Oh, yeah. Right. Yes. All right. So jumping into these chapters tonight. Now we've talked about a little bit of you know in, in in the previous attempt to record this episode. I just want to start with Scott tonight. Now, Scott, you are a pack member. You are. I am. You you mm-hmm. you have like a membership card. It's like the AARP, but it involves howling. You are a you you are a. What do you people call yourselves? You're you're packified. You're you're in the pack. Um, we don't really have a, a particular term. Yeah, just pack member or whatever else like that. But. There you go. All right. So okay. So t- you you gave us some insight uh, last recording just about um, you haven't heard the first episode that we did, but just about the first ten chapters and how the story itself got started and you know with, I I've read up to chapter twenty three, so I don't know what's to come. But just give us your impressions of just the story so far like last week and then you know the beginning okay well basically everything you covered in the last episode was um sort of and getting her stride basically she originally thought the entire fic was going to be 10 chapters and it would end about there with um serious out of prison and Harry and Hermione and everyone are happy and it's all good and wonderful and that's the end of the story. But complications ensue, such as, um, what if, because it's really not that complicated a plot, what would happen if someone actually finds them? And that's what sort of happens in these next chapters. Because, yeah, as you sort of covered last week or whenever it was, some of their planning wasn't necessarily the most well thought out. Yeah, and, and just to clarify that, that would be the point where they could either find people with red hair or organize a prison break and go into the witness protection program. It was an A or a B choice, and they thought about it, and they did some polling, and they decided to just break Sirius out of prison, which I was like, okay. <laughs> There's like 47 Weasleys, I mean, and, and which kills me is right after they do it, they run into all the Weasleys, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what, true. Whatever. But as we know from canon, there is that lovely thing where people don't always think of the most logical thing to do. Well, I think it's, I think it's true, logical. and I think it's the same can be said of, of real-life people. So, beginning of Chapter 11, Dumbledore has just found out that Sirius Black escaped from Azkaban. Oh, no. And, yeah. Dun-dun. Yes. Dun-dun-dun. And Dumbledore is about to figure out this whole plot. By himself. In about and 25 then, minutes. But what kills yes. me is, like in the canon, he's like, okay, there, no possibility is even entertained that anyone else could piece these clues together. Like, for example, I said this in the, in the earlier recording, so everyone won't go, <gasps> when I say it, because they've heard it before. But for you, it's new. It's like repeats. You know, they're new for you if you haven't seen them. Okay, whatever. All right, so um, Lupin has a choice. Now, Lupin could, you know, for example... You know, drip blood oh, okay. all over his house, and he could drag something out into the woods to imply that he was dragged away, and that you know Sirius killed him and kidnapped Harry. And they could do this. You entire- gave this a lot of thought. I this, this alternate a- plan of Ramus's that doesn't exist. I have lived with my mother, cheap. So I, it's not the first time I've. Th- I'm kidding. A little dark. <laughs> but the thing is. Okay, they, they they could go this way, and they could he could have faked his own death, or they could have done something. He like like how like seriously think of the note that Dumbledore intercepts here. It's it's basically Lupin saying, "Take my house tax free. I'm so happy." <laughs> it's like, uh, is it possible he has the key? 
Like it's just <laughs> like it's such a simple plan. But and, and I have well, to wa- but 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 are you know you have to think maybe things in wizarding society are not the same as they are from how we would perceive it. And this was also in the you know this is set in the very early eighties. This is before we had CSI. This is before we had you know forensic science. This was before forensic you- science. He left his house to whoever. Well, no, what I'm saying is you know the reason why so many people would say okay this is very a very poorly thought out plan is because from watching all those kinds of shows you know you're saying well yeah. what he could have done was stage a crime scene and drag something off into the woods to make you know i mean right, you're right, saying right. all that kind of this stuff. is my, this is this my response to that. this is my response to that now i know you, you a year like none other wasn't your thing okay and i realize that sometimes we just okay i predicted that pansy parkinson was a garden gnome and that was the secret to a year like none other. I predicted yes. that Draco Malfoy was Doc from Back to the Future and time traveled back in time at great personal risk to deliver a Valentine to Harry. I don't watch CSI because I am the stupidest person in the world when it comes to solving any type of crime. Like, I have many, I, I can't parallel park and I can't do that. Everything else I'm just wonderful at. But, I, I mean, this is not, you know, like, you know, the DNA doesn't match and the, and the knife, you know, was in the wrong place. Like, this is, like, brain-dead stuff. Like, I don't know. Remus isn't trying to make it look like anything happened to him. It's, it's look, I mean, honestly, it doesn't, it doesn't actually say in here, I don't need these things because I'm happy and I'm doing all this other stuff. You know, this could be, you know, to anyone else who read this that wasn't Dumbledore and didn't know who Remus Lupin was, just somebody who found it, they might think, okay, this person won a lot of money and moved away. This person committed suicide. You know, it doesn't oh, yeah. say in there that that's what happened. I mean, he wasn't trying for the the part about Remus's house. He wasn't trying to make it look like anything happened to him. He was just trying to disappear. Well, here's the and, thing. And I don't want to get yeah, I don't want to get too caught up on this because this isn't really like a huge point I have. I guess my 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 thought is this, uh, you know, okay, we're we're like I said in the last episode, the first ten chapters seemed like it was a it was a very good plot that wasn't taking itself too seriously, and in in this round of chapters, it starts taking itself more seriously. So you have to look at the plot a little bit differently, and uh, you know, looking back on that you know, decision and some of the decisions the characters make in you know eleven through twenty three, okay. You are attempting to kidnap the boy who lived, and you're trying to... Now, this isn't a situation where they're just trying... Let me even back up. You're not trying to get Harry away from the Dursleys. If you were, you would take Harry to Dumbledore with, you know, DNA evidence that he was being mistreated, or you take... You do or something. DNA evidence that he's being mistreated. <laughs> yes, I don't know. <laughs> Get camera footage. I don't know what you do, but but I guess my point is is that there is a component here to we want him. There's that component. It's not just you know child in need of services. It is we want him. We want him to be in our family. So they they know that the the auras are going to come after them. They know that Sirius is still considered a wanted criminal. So they they know these things. So they're trying to hatch a plan to fool everybody, and they do. You know, take some steps towards doing that. They do try and fiddle with the dates and bring Harry and then return him so that the, the new couple, the whites, are seen with a little boy and they color each other's hair and they, and they, they, they do take steps. But on other levels, I guess my only point is, it's, on some levels they take, you know, very concrete steps to protect themselves and on other levels they just, 
there's things they could do that they just don't, which it makes it as the story takes itself more seriously. My reaction was what? Like it's like like for example, later in these chapters, you have um, two things. You have uh, Lucius invade their home and kidnap everybody, and you have uh, Umbridge send a Dementor. So it's clear now; people know where you live. You're essentially right. in the witness protection program. You're, wear, you're wearing like you know fake glasses and a wig, and you know you're, you're hiding out with you know the child who saved the Wizarding World. I mean, people like this is like the Lindbergh baby. And, you know, the, the government knows where you are. There's no mention of them, hey, should we move somewhere else? Should we change our name? Mm-hmm. Should we take a lethal with it? Like, there's no real... The dis- government doesn't really. They know... The reason. The only reason Umbridge sent anything there was um, Lucius said, check out Aletha Freeman's house. They know where she lives. Mm-hmm. They don't know that Remus and Danger are in the same place. Well, that's true, but shouldn't they have some idea... They even referenced the fact that you know Lucius was t- was talking. I don't know. It just that was, I guess, one thing I was looking for. Maybe I just didn't see. I was looking for them saying, you know, should we go underground? Should we do something else? And it just seemed like every. It, it seemed like the, um, the the the. They haven't reached that point yet. Okay, it, does, it does come. Okay, because it seemed like the thought process was everything's. It's like they go back to the house right after they're kidnapped and they make hot chocolate for the kids. It just seemed like. It was more. It was. It still got one foot in fairy tale mode, which is fine. I mean, the, the canon books have one foot in the beginning in fairy tale mode. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. That's just my you know discussion point. Is that okay? It will. Mm-hmm. You know, Scott's right. It does. It will change eventually, and and that will pick up. I think the characters have a certain level of naivete at this point. Yeah. That they will lose shortly. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is this. Okay. You know, the characters have a level... Like, picture, you know, like a TV show or picture a movie where one character is in a lot of trouble. And they walk up to the bad guys and they've got a cocky smile on their face. And they, you know, beat up a bad guy without even breaking a sweat. It's like the god complex. It's like this isn't totally realistic because the characters are just so calm and so cool and nothing bad ever happens to them. It's like... It's it's like they're Captain Kirk. It's like you know they are they are capable of doing anything. They are they are you know super characters. And you know okay if you you know were you know underground and if you were you know trying to hide you know this family and and you know stay under the radar. You know Danger writes these you know wonderful letters. Dumbledore includes audio tapes and includes letters and and you know documentation and my thought is that she protects i'm sorry she um expects the dumbledore would keep her secret which is absolutely realistic but it just seems there's this oh everything will be fine they can't find us here you know let's go to diagon alley today let's go to hogsmeade i don't really i guess i was expecting going into this to feel like this was you know if you go as far as to change your name you're gonna go go a little bit further as well that's all i have to say that's all and that's all i have to say at that point i mean that's just where it was any other okay. points about Chapter Eleven? I I just have one. I I really like her Dumbledore. I think that I'm used to uh, a Dumbledore which is much um, harsher. I'm used to a year like none other Dumbledore, who is um, mm-hmm. very much a Slytherin character. You know, we just got off the heels of reading Nightmare of Futures Past, where it's it's a Harry versus Dumbledore story. You know, in terms of basically, trust. Yeah. And yeah. I enjoyed the fact that Dumbledore, and I'll even say this. He doesn't feel like Canon Dumbledore, but that's okay because I think I couldn't take can, you know Canon Dumbledore right now. And there's a lot of debate and discussion about who Canon Dumbledore is. But 
this guy was an old man who he was he was very human. He laughed at jokes and he chuckled when kids did cute things. He seemed like grandpa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a very grandfatherly character in this. Story. Yeah, and he even you know thought to himself, "Do people see me like this? Do people see me as this all powerful?" And I like that we got into his head when he was talking to Petunia, and there were things I caught on that Petunia was saying that he wasn't even catching on until the third or fourth, you know, read through of it or, or rewatch of it in the pensive. So there were, I like the fact that mm-hmm. this Dumbledore wasn't the sharpest crayon in the box because there were times that Canon Dumbledore let huge things slip by. So. Mm-hmm. Canon Dumbledore from book one a little bit more objectively. Yeah. Because yeah. he's still a grandfatherly figure, but we do notice these faults in him that Harry wouldn't have. Yeah. But yeah, I think, well, but also the books, it has Dumbledore to... got a lot more harried because all these major things were happening, and so far none of that has happened. Yeah. And you also have to think about what perspective coming from here, because even when he interacts with the other characters, in the canon books, you know, he's interacting with Harry, but Harry's a child. Mm-hmm. And someone at any age is going to react differently to an adult than to a child. Yeah, mm-hmm. the difference here is this is Dumbledore's perspective. So when it's Harry's Well, yeah, I know that. I'm talking about when he interacts with the other characters. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, I'm just... Yeah, he just... Yeah, he's, he's a very... He's a much more human character, because a lot of fic Dumbledores seem to be polarized one way or another. Either, yeah. le- either he's a manipulative piece of scum or he's a saint. He's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There aren't very many where he's in between. And let's look at the difference the two authors took. We just got that Viridian's fic and let's look at Anne. Uh, Verid- you know, in Viridian's fic, Nightmare of Futures Past, Harry has a secret. He has a secret about, he, he knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. You know, from, he's, it's set, it's set in the second year, but he knows everything that's going to happen, you know, forward for the next 20 years. And he's keeping that from Dumbledore because he hasn't, trust Dumbledore to do the right thing with the information. And he even has a dream that Dumbledore tries to obliviate him to get that knowledge away from Harry because he deems it too dangerous, and he ends up killing everybody. And it's just it's one of those things where if you don't trust someone and they don't trust you, you know, the, the awful consequences that can have. In this story, which is a little bit more of a fairy tale at this point, um, you know, where, where you're not getting into those, you know, that, that level of realism and you're able to have a little bit more fun with the plot, you have Dumbledore essentially know that Harry's been kidnapped, know who has him, and in any other, you know, this is the Harry that's desperately needed to preserve, you know, the Wizarding World to defeat Voldemort. This is, you, you don't mess around with Harry, and his response is to be a grandfather and say, you know, send me cards at Christmas, and, you know, and, and, yeah. and he's okay with that, which actually makes a great deal of sense, because if you think of Dumbledore in the canon, you know, he sends the, the savior of the wizarding world into the middle of the woods where he can get killed and he sends him up on the dragon and you know he he takes a lot of chances with harry and canon so it, it does seem very plausible that he would see this as being in harry's best interest and just kind of go with it it's a much you know it is it's like w- when we read fix and you read like 17 fix in a row of ron being an ass if you read a fic where ron isn't an ass Okay, it's a little out of character, but thank you, God, because I cannot yeah. stand So I'm like, you know what? Dumbledore is just a nice guy who wants a Christmas card. Well, I just okay. think, you know, I think when you, your perception of Dumbledore has been colored by the fix that you've been reading lately, it's been because honestly. Jen. It's been colored by Jen. Like, yeah, probably. Weird... <laughs> because honestly, honestly, in the canon, and I'm going to be really harsh here on certain people who have certain views. Honestly, in the canon, you. The first four books 
you know, don't really get a pair of perspective on Dumbledore. The fifth book, you get the perspective of a teenager who's throwing a fit. By the sixth book, you know, you know, you can kind of see that Dumbledore has been manipulating the situation, but he's in a position of power, and everybody that is in a position of power, to some degree or another, manipulates those around them for the good of all. He's a very Machiavellian character. Yeah, you know, exactly he's very. Said, yeah. He's he's very you know. He sees. He tries to see to the best of his ability. You know, the far-reaching consequences of certain things. He is only human, and I think that as a fandom, you know, we had kind of built him up to this you know level. And when he was no longer, when Harry's perception of him switched. It's like the whole the whole fandom went through puberty and got really mad at our dad, you know, and, and just never quite got over how much of an ass our dad was. But I think, you know, if you go back and you read the books and you read them with the perspective of Dumbledore is doing the best he can with what he has, I think that's just as fair a description as Dumbledore was a manipulative evil bastard who was trying to, I mean, he's not fully good and he's not fully bad. Yeah. You know, he's just he was just a man in a position of power trying to do the best for everybody. And that's kind of a tough pill to swallow, I think, sometimes. Yeah. And this this story is kind of I mean, there's danger in this story and there's, you know no consequences and conflict oh sorry. Duh, I forgot danger is really literally in the story. Okay. But there's like conflicts and consequences in the story, but it's not as heavy as the canon is. And it's nice to go and kind of go from Nightmares and Futures Past, which is as heavy, if not more so, than the canon, to this, which is by no stretch stretch of the imagination, on the same level. Okay, so chapter 12 is when we get the first idea that we are getting more children to the pack. We are. The pack is growing, and I have to tell you, I read A Year Like None Other. I read all 97 chapters. It was a very well-written story. It was my first Draco Snape adoption, Draco Snape adoption, Harry Snape adoption fic. And for a second, I thought we were going back down that path. I'm like, I can't read any more about these. But um, that really surprised me. I did not see that coming at all. Um, As soon as as they mentioned that... um, this is going to sound really cynical, but as soon as they mentioned poor, abused Draco, I was like, oh, I know where this is going. I call it. <laughs> and I just realized now that this has nothing to do with Chapter 12, and Brenda is probably going crazy right now, but just to say one thing, how many stories have we read where the Weasleys take in Harry and the Weasleys take in, you know, Adam from, you know, after the end, and the Weasleys adopt someone? It's about time someone else adopted the kid who needs help, so I'm giving kudos to the pack on that. Well, there's only really one thing in these all these chapters that I really wanted to say anything about because right. it struck me really odd. Okay, this is in, let's see, chapter 16. Mm-hmm. And it is where they're talking about where, where the gentlemen are playing catch with Harry. Mm-hmm. The introduction that little thing says, A gale of giggles trailed in from the den room to the kitchen where Danger was doing paperwork. What? Paperwork could she possibly be doing? <laughs> All right, so you're, let me. I just want to clarify this right now. Your concern with the scene wasn't the fact that they were actually playing catch with Harry, as though Harry were the item they were playing catch with. Your concern was that Danger was in the other room doing paperwork. 
Well, see, now you're going to make me out to be an irresponsible person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because I've had people play catch with me when I was a baby. My dad and his brother used to do it all the time. It's not necessarily that I find that all out of order. It's a little strange, but <laughs> I just want to know what kind of paperwork she has to do. Well, she works because, in a bookstore, doesn't she? Maybe she Right, has- but she doesn't own it. She doesn't have to do stuff like that. I mean, it's not like she's bringing the payroll home. Is she paying the bills? I mean, they have a mortgage in the house. Uh, I suppose that could be it. It's just, just, you know, I would think if it was, okay, she's paying bills, that's one thing. But saying paperwork, paperwork I mean, when I make paperwork, yeah. I think of, like, TPS reports. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing, re- like, Sirius is upstairs writing a trashy romance novel and she's downstairs with the damn TPS reports. I don't know. That's actually a good point. Yeah, there's so many questions I have about these chapters, all of them good. I'm really enjoying this reading experience. Um, the, the There's several points um, I, I think we need to raise um, in these chapters now. Now, we brought this up last week, so this isn't going to get the, you know, insane laughter it did last time, and that's unfortunate, but this is such an episode of Rugrats, this entire it, thing. Yeah. This is really like is. little Harry, little Hermione, they're wearing diapers, and they're walking around, and they're kicking the snot out of Lucius Malfoy, and, like, it just absolutely... And you can picture the three of them together, and they... Like, seriously, I want you to think about this. The adults are all locked up, and, and they're completely incapacitated, and they can do nothing, and their children are about to be raised by Death Eaters, and their lives are over, and... and you know, they're, they're talking about putting Hermione in a room with Remus and letting him transform. Awful, awful, terrible, terrible locusts, death, destruction. And <laughs> Harry, Hermione, and Draco, in the time span of like 27 minutes, play a game of catch, free a house elf, incapacitate, you know, the next Dark Lord in waiting, and they fall asleep shortly thereafter. It's Rugrats. Mm-hmm. The entire mm-hmm. thing is Rugrats. And now, I wasn't aware of this. I babysat about a year ago. They are ma- they have made the new Rugrats series about the kids when they're older. All yes, up. they have. Rugrats all, all grown, grown up. up. Yeah. Now, that's kind of like the inverse of what we have here. We're used to Harry and Hermione, you know, dating each other, if you're Richard. Um, you're, you're, we're used <laughs> to all these things. And uh, and this is, like, and, it, and now their biggest problem in the day is to uh, beat up the mean man and to get hot chocolate. And that ain't bad. <laughs> no, it's. I actually think that she kind of writes the mentality of a two-year-old. Probably not extremely accurately, but very cute. in a way that is very entertaining. It's yes. extremely entertaining. The kids are so cute, and I think that's that's really the the, the, the thing here. What? Kids aren't two years old when they find you, Draco. Well, they're four oh, at that sorry. point, right? They're no, four. Well, they're four. But we're talking. We, um, they were two during a lot of the stuff. Yeah, at the beginning of the, of the chapters, and um, it seems like there's like a year missing there too. For some reason, I thought they only should have been three, but whatever. Um, but well, they skipped over the whole part where Aletha was pregnant, pretty much. Oh, that's true too. That yeah, was like the so. episode. Anyone ever see the episode of uh, Little House on the Prairie where she gets pregnant in the beginning of the episode and has the kid at the end? Like that was time saver. No, I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a wonderful episode. I think they realized they needed another kid in the cast, and they had like two weeks. So. <laughs> Quick, let's pop out a baby. I always love that. Be like Michelle Duggar. You know who really, you know who really pissed me off with that? The youngest daughter from Growing Pains. They had like the birth. They had like the birth episode. Then at the beginning of the next season, <laughs> there's like a seven year old doing her homework. I'm like, what? 
apparently. Yeah, they do it. In, they do it in uh, what is it? Soap operas. All yeah, the, time. the time. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it just it was it was so badly done. But whatever. Um. Well, I, you, you know what the thing is in canon, they never get the ages right because the characters are sixteen. But they're fighting, you know, fully grown wizards, and I swear to God, there was a cut scene where Harry was filing his income taxes. Like these are not ordinary <laughs> children. And when you look, see, I get Rena every time. She's so amused by me. She just follows me around, laughing all the time. And uh. you know, when but when you, so when you look at them as kids, they're very self sufficient. If if Hermione has a bad dream, she just gets in Harry's bed, and they snuggle with their little, you know, bears, and 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 that's it. Whereas you know, if when I have a kid, they will scream and my hair will fall out and they will not stop screaming for like five to seven years, most likely. But these kids are, <laughs> these kids are incredibly self-sufficient. Like, I love those little moments. Like, when Draco is brought into the, in, into the pack, they take him upstairs and initiate him. No one knows what they do. No one really cares. They've got their own thing. That's fine. And I just think it's, these are incredibly self-sufficient kids and they're very intelligent. And mm-hmm. they're like little miniature versions of their own characters. I just think it's it's awesome. I, I think the kids are so... It's like she said. They may not be the most realistic kids in the world, and all kids are different, but they're incredibly, incredibly entertaining. And... Some of it is drawn from realism, actually. Like, um, there's an exchange, I can't remember which chapter it in, where um, Remus is surprised at how quickly they're reading, and... Danger mentioned she was reading by three. Uh, that was taken from Anne because uh, she was also reading by three. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, some some kids do start reading younger than others, and you know, I I taught my brother when when he was three and I was five, and and you know, we both got put up grades for it. You know. But yeah, I mean, I I can definitely see that. I mean, all kids are a little bit unusual. I mean, there are some sixteen-year-olds out there who were, you know leading the fight against global warming. So, you know, so the fact that they can yeah. take on a dark lord isn't, you know, uh, the realm of possibility. Isn't that sad that we've gone to a point in, in life where, you know, fighting a dark lord and combating global warming are kind of on the same level in my head? That's just not probably... Well, that point. might just be you. <laughs> no, I'm sure I'm sure it's not just me. I'm sure it's, it's as many as 30 or 40 other people worldwide. But, um, yeah, so let's even go... Now, there's some things I just really want to get into in these chapters, and, I, and I don't, we don't have time to go through every single chapter, so I just want to throw out um, large-scale plot points. Let's talk about Aletha and Danger. And I'm curious, especially you, Scott, because you're you know, a pack mate or you're a packified something or other. I don't know what to call you yet. I'm still working on it. Yeah. The, the character of Danger and the character of Aletha at these early stages, um, you know what it is? It's... Wait, I don't know. Maybe this is just my naivete with with the fandom, but it seems like if you're going to have a character like Danger in the story, that character is going to be the story, and you know, it's going to focus entirely on this new character, and every all of the established characters are going to kind of filter through that character. And what's interesting about the way Anne writes this is that it literally is the pack. It's this large cluster of equal people. So... Mm-hmm. Well, she was trying not to do that, the whole Mary Sue thing, which um, Danger apparently started out being a lot more Mary Sue. Like, she and Hermione were somehow American and moved to Britain and lived Yeah, I read it. that, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And she was really trying not to make everything all about her. I actually think it, I think it works much better that way than it would have the alternate way. What I'm hoping to see in future chapters, and I'm sure I'm going to get it from what everyone tells me, is just a lot more... 
lot more focus on that character because I know Lupin, I know Sirius, I know Hermione and Draco, I know all these other characters. I don't know Aletha and I don't know Danger. So I think there, there, there's definitely a like a like a balancing act there because if you focus too much on you know these characters they become Mary Sue's but if you don't focus on them enough they're just like these other bodies in the room and they just like for example until you get a lot of you know discussion of Aletha and until you see why she's in the story and what she adds and how she compliments uh, Sirius she's just like the random girlfriend who you never heard of before who doesn't mean anything and that's unfortunate and I mentioned this um, in the last attempt to podcast on this and I've changed my mind a little bit since then it's been about three days I said in the last podcast that Aletha didn't seem to be a good match for Sirius because she, like, when, when you picture the character of Sirius, you picture him, if he's in the fall for someone, it's going to be a bookworm who will be able to, you know, hone, like, hold down his more outgoing tendencies and, and, you know, someone who will compliment him very well, whereas he You're is... You're sort of playing up the Sirius Ron parallels there, like the whole yeah. serious yeah. and somebody being equal to Ron and Hermione sort of relationship. Some, well, I do see them as very not really equal characters. I mean, I would say Sirius is probably a cross between, if you had to really, you know, break it down to very simple components. Sirius is a cross between Ron and the twins. He has that really outgoing, you know, personality of the twins, but there's also this part of him that you know, does feel great responsibility and does have that very serious try and prove himself, no pun intended, try and prove himself core. Mm-hmm. And I always picture Sirius as a cross between Ron and the twins. He's got Weasley in them somewhere. He's got this desire to prove himself, but he's also got the Marauder side. And when, when you picture someone that outgoing, you just, you just have to, like, in my mind, I'm picturing a, a more reserved person with them. So, in the beginning, Aletha just seemed very bland to me, and she didn't really see... I think that's the, the the balancing act. If you make this person, you know, be able to fly and be able to, you know, cure lycanthropy and you do all these things, you know, like with danger, they become a Mary Sue, and if you tone them down, they don't have that much of a presence. And in the beginning, I wasn't really feeling Aletha. She didn't really interest me. Near the end of these chapters, that kind of changed a lot, and, you know, mm-hmm. the, char- the character grew on me. Because before, you'd missed the whole scenes with... Um... Oh, what was it? The piano. Well, with the negotiation and all that. Yeah, I didn't see the I didn't see those scenes at all. And um, and while the the negotiation was primarily serious, she did have you know those moments there where she did step. For- now I don't remember the exact dialogue. I just read it earlier today, but she did step forward, and she did you know insert herself into that process. And by this point, she's now a mother, and there's that whole you know there, there's that whole you know, addition to the to the relationship she has with Sirius now that they have a child together. So I'm starting to grow a little bit more attached to Aletha. Um, I think I still have a lot more to go, but I'm seeing the promise the character can have. Um, I love the scene where her wedding ring got very cold and she had to charge back, to, you know, to their to the den, to their house, and she literally sa- came within moments of saving Sirius's life. And, you know, that, I could picture her, you know, literally, you know, jumping, you know, be- between him and the Dementor and, and saving his life, and then I'm thinking back to... I don't know. I think what's happening is she's becoming a, a much louder character than I anticipated Sirius being with, but I'm okay with that as long as it works well for the relationship, and I'm thinking it will, but I just I need to get more on that. So I'm thinking by mm-hmm. next week I'll have a lot more to comment on for Letha. 
Well, you also have to kind of think about it in the context of what Scott was talking about earlier, about how, you know, in the beginning, this was only supposed to be like a 10, 12 chapter story. And it was supposed mm-hmm. to be about danger. It wasn't ever supposed to be about Alita. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, they weren't the focus of the story. And so once that kind of got shot to hell and the story was extended, you know, then we could see more of her personality. And you wonder, too, how much of it's crap. What the hell do I do with Aletha now? <laughs> because it's, you know, I need to, you know, obviously sustain this character for however long the story goes. So I'm curious, right. without knowing what's to come, how much more there was on that character. Um, let's get into talking about, if we can, um, the plot line at Malfoy Manor. Now, I went off on a tangent the last time we tried to record this because, you know, and, and I think I've said it pretty well tonight. I think the story is about 75% realism and 25% fairy tale so far. So it's got that amusing edge to it. It's not like you read Cinderella and call DSS because this poor girl is being abused. I mean, you don't take it that seriously. But I'm like, okay. I understand the fact that, you know, Remus did the, I'm so happy, and gave his house away, which was a little conspicuous. You know, I, I appreciate the fact that the oars were so stupid that no one picked up on any of this yet, and that Remus' face is, you know, plastered on every telephone pole in England for, you know, stealing the, the, the boy who lived. Um, you know, like, I can accept that they may go the Hogsmeade under the guise of it's very busy and people won't pay attention to them. I can understand the fact that they're not going to be shut-ins and that they're going to work and that she's going to still have her truck and that they're going to live 20 miles away from where the Jerseys live. I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with those things, but I'm just thinking that at some level they need to demonstrate, you know, some consideration of the fact that they're undercover to some extent, and I appreciate the fact that they teach the kids, that, you know, their den names versus their their outside the den names, and that stuff is good. But okay, bring your kid to work day is not <laughs> a good idea. Do not bring Harry Potter to the Ministry of Magic because what will happen is you will all be kidnapped by Death Eaters. Like yeah, obviously that's that that's what follows in their mind. Like you know? like let me explain this to you. It's like I have I have a bachelor's degree and I have like a master's degree. Like I apparently am wicked schmott. Like there's some things I can do. My mother came home to me one day and said that she needed to buy a modem, and I said no, you don't. You have one. It comes with a computer. She made me drag myself over to Staples and have a 14-year-old kid with more acne than I believe is reasonable, tell her, oh, you have one, it came with the computer, to which she says, okay, thank you. And then she looks at me and she says, I have one, it came with the computer. Like that, sometimes I feel like people don't listen to me. I'm screaming, <laughs> do not, do not, do not take your undercover kids to work today. Bad. I, like, like I don't know. Like, there, there, there were moments where I was just like, "All right, this is a girl." Who am I to argue? So the kids <laughs> kick the ever living snot out of Lucius Malfoy, and they free Dobby, and then we get to Narcissa Malfoy. Now let's talk about Narcissa because I think that Anne, you know, through probably just sheer luck, because I don't think there was much way to see this happening at all here, Anne predicts. The Narcissa we see in Deathly Hallows. Now she's, you know, there's obviously a lot of differences. And when I say predict, she predicted that the importance of this character, Narcissa Malfoy, 
in the canon saved everyone. Yeah. Yeah, she did. You know, and I, I, I love this part of the story, actually. Uh, Narcissa tells, you know, she gives Draco away, basically. That, that was absolutely heartbreaking. It was you know? absolutely heartbreaking to say, I'm never going to see you again. And the thing with Draco, and she writes Draco so well, there's the, there's the mm-hmm. three Dracos. There's the abused Draco, there's the pompous Draco, and there's like the Draco who will be. You know, like, and the more time he spends with the pack, the more time Draco Who Will Be comes out. But this is just, you know, he's, when we read A Year Like None Other, I had, I had, the problems I have with the story were that I can't believe that this is the same Snape from the canon, because it's two years ago. I can understand, your right. Snape is a very interesting character, yeah. but I have difficulty believing he would go from A to B in two years, and sometimes I felt like Aspen took him too far. Other times I, I, I could buy into it, and after a while I just kind of gave up on it and accepted it because it just, I read it for 70 chapters. It seemed normal. But, you know, <laughs> you know, there, it, with no, you know, no offense, Aspen. I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's very few ways you can take a character like Draco and make him into a good guy. Like, in like two years. In two years. You can make, sir, you can really, you, you can put, you know, his father could get cancer and he could lose his leg and he could get stuck in an elevator with Harry. I mean, there's certain plot devices you can dump onto the story to force out the, you know, to force the best parts of Draco forward. And you see that in canon too. You, Draco won't kill Dumbledore. I mean, that, you know, I don't kill people every day. That's very good. He won't kill people. Okay. So you, you you can buy into that. This this is such a different story because you take him back to a four year old, and that's the area where you have the ability to make a difference. And when when you stop to think about that, we know what's going to happen. We know what would happen if this if this day never happened, if Narcissa kept her mouth shut, and if Lucius raised him. We know what he would become. What's he going to become now? Because anything is possible. He could turn out like Neville now, and that would be completely acceptable because they go back so far. So, you know, we, we seem to, as a group, have different takes on AU. You know, with, with Nightmare, you know, a lot of the times, you know, we, 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 it was trying to change, you know, the canon and trying to, you know, muck up the canon is what we, some of us had said, you know, when Harry would go back in time and make certain changes. And, you know, a year like none other, it was difficult to kind of make the, 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 the transition from, you know, one Draco to the other, despite, you know, what happens in the plot. In this one, because it's a complete do-over, and because no one is conscious, it's, it's, this is, I think, the purest form of AU we've covered. And it's really fascinating. It's really cool to go back and say, okay, Draco from birth, you know, is with the pack. And Harry is not locked in the closet for another six, seven, eight years. And right. That, and, and because now we're going to see a very different Harry who had people care about him all his life. W- will he not have separation anxiety? Will he not be the person who wants to save everyone else but himself? I mean, what changes will be seen this Harry? It's just, it's just really fascinating. And I love the fact that that Narcissa did it all for Draco. Because mm-hmm. in canon, Narcissa does it all for Draco. And for a character that in so many fics people just see as this, you know, awful, just very... Ice bitch. Yeah, very ice bitch who's so one-sided. That's 
you know, she loves her son. She's in- That's another thing that um, Anne was really excited about after HPP came out because that matched. Yeah. Because um, she she wrote this whole story before, um, uh, I think, right at fairly soon after um, Order of the Phoenix, and um, but then some of the things in Half Blood Prince and Deadly Hallows have since matched up with stuff that she's done. It's nice when it works. Yeah, and you know what it is too? It's like, I love story, like, I'm, like, Rena, we'll step forward on this one, because Rena knows what the hell I'm talking about. I don't like <laughs> reset button stories. And if you're a fan of Star Trek, you learn to hate the reset button. It's the story where, you know, the, 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 the captain is forced to kill someone and can't live with herself and all of these terrible things, you know, she, she has to learn to, you know, deal with her, you know, her... Oh, this inner... is a Doctor Who story. Yeah, and by the end of it, 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 was, <laughs> it, it, was, it was all a dream. Or, oh, yeah, you know, or, or, you know, the Voyager episode where the ship gets beat to hell and half of it gets ripped off and th- they're never going to make it home, only to find out at the end they can change time so the whole thing never happened. The, yeah. it's, it's a, no one cares about a story where at the end of the story it is guaranteed that you could not, you could have missed that episode and still enjoy everything else. And I love, I, I, I'm a huge Battlestar Galactica fan, so I listen to the podcasts, and literally it's the executive producer drunk off his ass on his couch with the phone ringing in the background, watching episodes, going, oh, I remember what happened here, and blah, 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 blah. and he's watching them, and his whole thing is like, you know what, I, I realized to myself, you know, that guy's been around a while, so we're, he's going to have to die. And, you know, he's watching it. He's like, this scene needs something. Why don't we shoot that guy's leg off? He's a, fans love him. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it, he, he knows his show is coming to an end. So he is killing characters. And he, he's like, you know what? I feel awful. I love working with the actors, but you know what? It's time to happen. Nothing is safe. You don't know what, like, I love plot lines that just, there's nothing that is safe and that, the, yeah. the person on the other side is willing to take chances, and I don't want to ask too many questions because I want to be surprised. But I'm suspecting as the story goes along, the characters are going to—I'm sorry—that the story will become less of a fairy tale by the definition I gave before. And one of yes. the reasons I'm thinking that is when I look at this, Anne does revenge very well. The revenge <laughs> on the Dursleys. Lucius is, it's not revenge, but the way he's going to punish the pack by raising Harry is a death either. Narcissa's revenge. She's going to kill herself so she does not have to deal with the legal consequences of what she's done. But she is, she is accepting the burden for what she has done personally. And she is, you know, she is taking revenge on her husband and she is sacrificing her child personally, but she knows her child will be alright. And it's just such, it's so strong. Everything that she does, it it, it, it shows me that, that Anne isn't going to mess around here. I think part of, if, if there's any complaint I can have so far, is that the story doesn't go there all the time. Sometimes it's played safe, and sometimes it's not. I'm looking forward to future chapters where it takes chances all the time, I guess is where I'm going there. Yeah, I think, uh, but you kind of going back to what we, we said earlier about how one of my favorite things about this story, um, and I'm not sure if I said it, and I think I said this in the last time we tried to record it, but, um, probably not in the earlier episode. Um, one of my favorite things about this story is that, um, it's really interesting from like a beta reader editor perspective because you kind of see 
her progression as a writer is very obvious, especially in Living with Danger. She starts out, and there's a lot of dialogue, and there's not a lot of description, and it kind of... I mean, it moves pretty fast, and it's still enjoyable, but at the same time, you're going, oh, I wish you had taken two lines and said something about this, you know, or, you know, just kind of things that you are... don't really make the story bad, but, you know, more experienced author would have done something different. And let's talk and about... Then, can I just and then, I'm sorry. In the next... Let me finish my thought, Ryan. I don't and then, um, and then in these chapters, kind of, she's, you know, she's taking the story, she's, like, she's kind of learning how to do things in more interesting ways. She starts out with kind of a, a nice story, not very interesting story, and by the middle of the story, it's, it's kind of, it's different, and it's interesting, and I enjoy that. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, like Scott said earlier, it started off as a ten-chapter mini yeah, you know, so, yeah, but so, even still, I mean, I think it it, it gets better, and oh, I think that that's due to her progression as a writer. Let me ask you not this just I'm going to rank this a 23 chapter or a 43 chapter story. But what's everyone think of this point? Um, I read the like I said, I've read fix which are you know entirely fluff fix that don't mention Voldemort at all, have nothing to do with any type of you know non romantic angst whatsoever. I read a fic which is extremely extremely um, popular, apparently, which, on chapter 18, while I enjoyed the writing style, I think I wanted to actually kill myself, because nothing happened. Anywhere. <laughs> like, I joke, I work at the most, like, like I work, you know, for, for, for the state, I work in, like, the most boring place ever, and we, we joke we should make our, our agency kind of like the show Cops, and, like, it could be, like, me and my car... Yeah, I was going to take 95 this morning, but I'm thinking there might be traffic, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take 114, and I'm going to cut across. <laughs> it's like, it's, and then, like, and then, you know, the agency was racked by crisis. Oh, my God, what happened was the parking lot's flooding, so we need everyone to move their cars to parking lot B. Remain calm, we will get through this. It's like, it's, <laughs> like, there were parts in this other fic where I felt like someone was just following me around, writing a fic about me. Like, I come home from work, I throw on hardball, have a slice of pizza, read a Bible. It's like, who wants to read my life? And I got, it, the, my concern into these chapters was that we're getting great funny moments with the kids and we're getting, you know, great moments with the adults. And my concern was that we were going to get, a, and this is the complaint I had, you know, at points with a year like none other as well. Where it seemed like, um, you know, you've got 45 chapters of everyone locked in the room. <laughs> it's like, uh, something needs to happen beyond the angst we're getting. I guess my, my concern was that the, it was to be a, bu- a bunch of people in the house all loving each other. And I, I, I like the, the level of angst that Anne put into it. Specifically, you know, you have the Dementor, you have the, uh, kidnapping, and finally, you have um, you, just the moments with Umbridge trying to, to get her nose in there and to try and mock up with people. And Oh, are you kidding? I think one of the most horrible scenes in the whole story, like horrible as in gut-wrenching, is the scene with um, Andromeda and Narcissa. Yeah. yeah. I mean, angst, hello? Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I, what I'm liking is I was concerned in like twelve, thirteen. This is going to be a story about a bunch of people locked in a house, all sleeping on the floor, 
loving each other, and which is a great story. But it's, you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's like, like an orgy. It's, uh, well, <laughs> it does. Okay. I want to point out, Lady Chi made a typo last week, and again, just to remind everyone, implied that Rinna had, had a torrid love affair with one of her dogs. So you know what? <laughs> no. You did. I have it on tape, woman. And you know what? So, yeah. So, I mean, but it's such the emotional aspect. Of the, you have to have the danger aspect. You have to have the outside villain to some mm-hmm. degree. And I think we're getting that at an acceptable level so that the story itself does not seem to be, you know, oh, my God, this is a bunch of people, you know, making pasta every day. I can't take it anymore. Which, But, yeah. <laughs> It is. I can't take that. Oh, my God. What do you have against pasta? <laughs> I don't. But, uh, <laughs> if the story bores me more than my own life, <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> but it was like, oh. And there was actually one scene, and, and God bless me. You know, I'm going to come back as a turtle for this. But in this scene, Harry was doing something so mundane that when I read what he was doing over the course of a chapter, it killed me because I had done the same thing the previous Saturdays. I'm like, oh, God, this is awful. Yeah. It's like the joke where you go to work for eight hours and you come home and you sleep and you're at your desk for eight hours working and you wake up and you have to go back to work. It's like, oh, my God. But um, enough of that. Yeah, let's, let's talk about... So I guess your point was you thought the story was going to be boring and then it wasn't. Yes, yeah, nice. Right? Okay, I did, I'm I did, translating Ryanese for everybody. Right. Lady Chief, <laughs> it's great to have if you're crushed for time. Okay, so let's move on from here. What other points do you guys have? I like the nightmares myself. That's something that people don't... That's... It doesn't get covered very often in canon or in a lot of fics that... Well, and it's something that, I'm sorry to cut across you, Scott, but it's something that I just wanted to point out. This is something that Ryan talked about in the first episode that we did about this story. Were you, did you record that one with us? I cannot remember. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or or not the very first one, no. The very first one, yeah, because he talked about how it seemed like Sirius got over it way too fast. He got over getting out of Azkaban way too fast. And then now we get to see that that's not what happened. Yeah. It's because he's on a high and he's sort of keeping the front up and then it sort of crumbles. Yeah. That's actually, I just want to make a really fast point. It's interesting when we review stuff like that, because when you see a character get out of jail or escape from jail and be totally fine, there's two possibilities. He's either, you know, trying to not think about it or it's bad writing. And unfortunately, you can't tell when you're reading a new writer until you get mm-hmm. a little bit which further one in, which one it is. So it's like, I read it, I'm like, oh, okay. He got over that really fast. Because it's like, you want to trust the author, but you don't know the author. But then when the author begins to impress you, as Anne has begun to impress me, then you're like, okay, this person obviously knows what they're doing. So then you kind of let go of it. Relax, yeah. I like, um, one of my favorite scenes is in chapter 16, Beautiful as a Child. I liked the moment where, the, well, of course, it opens off very angsty with Ramus realizing that it's Halloween, danger comforting him, and then they kind of explain, and this is where kind of the story of, the the tradition of pack stories, am I right when they, with that mm-hmm. term, Scott? Yeah, pack stories yeah. get started, where they, you know, you know, Every tell, night someone and then, tells and then it a story about again. Well, and then it kind of repeats itself again on the day that uh, Hermione and and Danger's parents died. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was one of the scenes that really, 
without that scene, I think I'd be viewing the character of Danger much differently at this point, because that was Danger being a human being. She wasn't curing a lycanthropy, and she wasn't, you know, using mm-hmm. her Care Bear stare powers to, you know, contact <laughs> Davis. And this is someone yeah. who was just really upset because her parents had died. And I've lo- I- I've lost a parent. I mean, it's something that you go through, and my dad's birthday was the other day, and, you know, it's something that really resonates with you, so... It was actually the same day that Ted Kennedy got a brain tumor, so that just was like, <laughs> but oh, it, you know, it, was, it was like I, that was a dark day. <laughs> <laughs> and we all laughed. And we all laughed. You have to laugh. If you don't laugh, it's, it's you all, do. You do. But it's I, that- I can be. I can say to anyone right now that if you can't laugh at yourself when bad stuff happens, you're going to go out of your goddamn mind. You are. Exactly. That's exactly true. And I apologize for saying GD if that bothers anybody. Uh, that's all right. <laughs> well, I think if they're offended by GD, they're probably offended by other things on our podcast. I mean, I, I've made very true. <laughs> we had bestiality in the last episode. So I don't think you know, I do like last one. I don't remember. <laughs> she, no one even catches. Yeah, you anymore. did. I think you did. Um, I I do like, and I mean, I don't like the fact that they use the song lyrics. That she uses song lyrics in the story. Oh I mean, I know that sometimes when you write a certain scene, you know, it's it's the movie effect. You play a song in your head that's going around in the background to set the scene, and you want people. Some people think, okay, well, this is so integral to the to the story, we have to put these song lyrics in it because I've done it before when I thought it was really really important. And but it really, I mean, I did it when I was a lot less experienced with writing when I couldn't figure out how to say the words myself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so I don't necessarily like that she uses the song lyrics, but I like the fact that she uses music to bring these people together. Because mm-hmm. in my former life, before I got into healthcare, I was in, uh, I was in, I was a musician and I did a lot of uh, research and I did internships and stuff in music therapy and using, using music to help heal and help people, you know, I did a lot of research with autistic kids, but we saw some kids that have been through traumatic experiences, and you, you put a musical instrument in their hands, and you let them let the music say what they can't say, and I mm-hmm. like the way that that's how they're going to, I mean, she sets the scene for it, and as someone who's read all this, you know, up to where she is presently in the series, you know, she uses music, that becomes Draco's outlet. You know, and we see kind of the beginnings of that in these chapters where, you know, they say that it's Letha and Remus that hold the keys to his heart because of their music, because that's going to be Draco's outlet. Yeah. It shows up earlier, and, too, with um, Narcissa's humming, and that's how um, right, he calms right. himself down, is to repeat you know, what she... Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. to drop a major spoiler about the rest of the series, you know, Luna comes in as a character eventually. We're going to see Luna Lovegood, and she does the same thing. And mm-hmm. that's how, you know, you see the two characters, can they can bond over their music because they use that to say the things that, you know, and as a kid, a lot of times, you don't know how to say the things that you're feeling. These It gives them an outlet and something to express themselves with. Mm-hmm. Well, like, when I was a kid, my parents could always tell what mood I was in by what piece I was playing on the piano. Well, they knew if it was, you know, Linus and Lucy, I was in pretty cheerful mood. And if it was, you know, Sarah Bond piece, then uh, in 3-2 time, where, 
everything's really, you know, slow and very dramatic. They kind of knew to stay away from me. <laughs> but I, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I kind of, I enjoyed that. It's some, it, like, it's kind of one of those things that actually I enjoy it, but I don't enjoy it because it's one of those things that just kind of makes me, the same thing with Viridian having them do like summer lessons and martial arts. Like having the Harry Potter characters play musical instruments kind of always makes me gotta go, kind of roll my eyes. Sometimes I enjoy it, sometimes I don't, because it's just not. It's not a part of the canon universe at all, yeah. really. Which is well, you every, know. Time, every once in a while, like it slipped in. Like in Barb's trilogy, I remember. Um, Randomly, Hermione was like an expert cello player. I'm like, yeah, she did huh. play the cello very well in that story. I remember. I'm like, huh, I never knew that. Yeah. I read. I think I read a story once where Hermione was a singer, and she had like she was a classically trained singer. It's hard to I, slip that in. It's like I can't imagine. I can't imagine Hermione being a singer. Very. I mean, that's just kind of that's you know. I mean, I'm just, just I'm just saying. Jenny you know, it's yeah. Hermione. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just. I mean, I think that. In this story, I think it was used really well as a tool yeah. of healing. I love the point where they the, the I forget who in the pack wonders if Draco has a has a good singing voice. Now, like a picture was the scene from a year like none other where he starts singing like "Oh Drummer Boy" or whatever at Christmas at Snape's house. I'm like, oh my god, he's singing again! Like I just I was so <laughs> amused by the, the the authors who try and get into abuse Draco are like maybe he can sing. I'm like, no, he can't. One of the things I like though is that she does she uses music a lot that's one of the things that she does but um every time a song comes in or there are lyrics or whatever it's because someone's singing it they don't she doesn't just unless it's a specific song fic which are always random one shots that aren't part of the main story um they don't just have lyrics yeah. running in the background it's always because someone has chosen that song to sing yeah but and, it's just like it's just like in lord of the rings where Legolas gets up and speaks about trees for three pages, and I'm like, "All right, we can skip that." <laughs> it's kind of what I do with the. It's kind of what I do with. I do it with not just Anne's writing; yeah. everybody's writing. If somebody is singing, saying a poem, um, whatever, giving a prophecy, giving a prophecy, <laughs> I just skip it. The prophecy <laughs> is probably something we should look into a little bit more because that could be important later. Yeah, I, well, I have a thing like that too. I skip over like the romantic parts. Don't do it for me, which is why I think I wasn't appreciating the music so much earlier when Sirius and Aletha came back, I kind of zoned out <laughs> when they first yeah. came Like, I'm like, I can't do, I like, I'm glad you're about to have a child, I can't, like, it just, it, it's not the type of like, I love you, I miss you, blah 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 it doesn't do anything yeah. for me. But what moments really did touch me was like what Rena said earlier, uh, you know, in Drama the Tonks, you know, saying farewell to her sister, and she is the healer who is on duty and goes to Azkaban and gets to, you know, essentially forgive her sister and her, she and her sister find peace with each other even though one was a death eater and one married a muggle you know in, in there's the moment where you know where Andromeda you know goes there and Narcissa even says to her I didn't not leave you Draco because your husband's a muggle I left him with people who are muggles I mean you know like that has nothing to do with it and you know, it, it has nothing to do with all these distractions it's just between me and you and I have atoned for what I did. And I love the moment where Andromeda tells her to go to sleep. And she uses mm-hmm, that yeah. phrase, go to sleep. And she and she does go to sleep, and she dies. And then she walks over and shoots 
Lucius in like the next cell over. And I just, it, it's one of those things where it's, it's so heartbreaking for her. She just lost her sister. And then there's the comic relief language in there that the trainee who's escorting her out of Azkaban is so afraid of her now because she just shot the last guy. So he's like trying not to get shot by her on the way out of the building. But like that scene was incredibly touching as was the scene where Andromeda, uh, sends through Aletha, uh, Narcissus's ring. You will remember your parent. You will remember the sacrifice your mother gave to you. And that's one of the, one of the best moments in a fic that has been created by a fanfic author, which has really tied another character to Harry. Two mothers yeah. who made sacrifices for their children. Very different. Narcissa killed herself. You know, Lily was killed. But I'm interested to see where these two characters go, because as they get older and learn what happened on each side, they're bonded now as a result of something Narcissa did. So I love the moment where each of the kids is given, you know, the, the what was it, the ring on the on the chain that they can wear with them always? I mean, parents that rings. their parents' rings. That's just an amazing moment. Like, I'm not into the, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, and all that mushy stuff, but, like, I'm really, I mean, I'm engaged. I mean, come on. But, you know, I, I just think that moment's really... Those yeah, he's were... engaged. Romance is dead. <laughs> Can I just tell you, I've been living with a girl now for three weeks, and I think I've seen her for like eight hours. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> we're doing the I miss you, I miss you too. I'm like, don't we live together? <laughs> uh, apparently Baker's work the third show. It makes me sad too. But I mean, that's just, those moments I think were just so unbelievably powerful that I can, this stuff in here that, like, what what was it? It was, um, it was Aletha when she was thinking to herself. It w- was it Aletha? I'm trying to remember the moment. Who was the character who was thinking to themselves something and like their their conscience spoke to them and it was the voice of Minerva McGonagall? Sure, that's happened a few times in this fic. <laughs> it's just moments. Various mo- people. Yeah, it's just moments <laughs> like that which I think were just terrific. I don't know. Well, you'll be glad to know that those that ha 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 the rings play a part later in the story. Do they really? Yes, you. It will be very mysterious. One thing to say is that all the little things that Dumbledore observes are going to come back and be... um, They'll weave into the later story, so it's something you may want to pay attention to, some of the things that he looks at. Specifically? Um, The various people he describes being there. Well, Mm -hmm. just like what area are we talking about? Things he notices... Mostly who the people are. He doesn't actually say who anyone is until he re- recognizes danger, but, um, yeah. Hmm. You can see things in that. Um, it's also where your one little interesting moment you were talking about is, where he um, sort of looks at how other people might perceive him, because this is Danger's dream, so she can randomly make chairs appear out of nowhere in it, and um, he wonders if that's how he sort of seems to other people. Just a tad. I, I like their uh, little interactions there, both there and then in the last chapter where they're uh, at tea in his office, where they sort of, they both say things without saying them kind of thing. Yeah, uh, it's actually interesting, because when you think of it, Dumbledore is the ultimate Mary Sue. For, you yeah. Know, you know what I mean? So it's, I get her every time I look. Yeah, Joe Rowling is, is you know, at heart wants to be a gay, <laughs> year old <laughs> Purple wearing, <laughs> buckled shoes wearing wizard. That's she Are really tired I, trying to I go totally, after. Totally, I totally have a T-shirt that says "I love my gay, my dead gay headmaster." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as much that in the uh, Voldemort. You no know one kills me. 
know what kills me? Now that we know <laughs> what Snape did on the Astronomy Tower turned out to be a hate crime. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That is very true. Somebody call the ACLU. <laughs> no wonder or BCLU, I guess. Oh yeah. gosh. Break out the uh break out the spirituals and the <laughs> candles. We're gonna have the ropes. We shall overcome. Oh stop it, we're we're pissing <laughs> off enough people to this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have to piss off some country or other every episode. Yes. <laughs> What thing, right? But here's the thing that thing people will people have commented to me that they're like, well, because I've been very public with the fact that I do not like slash stories. I do not like them at all. And so somebody asked me, well, do you have a problem with Dumbledore being gay? And I said, well, no, not at all, because now we know in canon that Dumbledore was gay. Yeah. But there was such a like a huge rash of people who just suddenly said, you know what, I think these characters are gay, and, and the one character who turned out to really be gay, everybody was, like, way off the mark on. <laughs> I know, yeah. that cracked me up so much. It's you almost know, as bad the the Lord of the Rings fandom, where there's, like, rampant Frodo slash Sam slash I know stories. it. And the I elves mean, are I, all gay, of course. Not that, <laughs> yeah, I, if I if I never read another Haldir slash Legolas story, I will be, it'll be too soon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I just, for some reason, and I guess it's, I mean, I've been very open about the fact that I'm kind of a canon Nazi and that that's why that I like the story. You know, like what Ryan was talking about earlier, they go all the way back to the beginning. They rewrite the entire canon. So you can believe that these characters go in completely different directions. You know, that's the kind of AU that I like. But so many stories are like, well, here, we've, we've just finished Order, or we just finished reading uh, Order of the Phoenix. So I think I'm going to make Harry gay, and all of a sudden, um, Hermione and Draco are going to start having hot monkey sex every time they turn around, and uh, Ginny is going to be a Death Eater. And it's like, okay, none of those things would happen based on what we know in canon. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think I mean, and that's really the pro- the problem that I have with a lot of the non traditional pairings. I mean, I have a big problem with the Sirius and Remus slash. I have a huge problem with any slash involving any of the you know the kid characters, Harry and Draco, or Ron and Draco, or somebody in Blaze, or you know got whoever the hell else they feel like Blaze making gay. Blaze is a boy, by the way. I just wanted to clarify some of our, yeah. our hosts had confusion on that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I just, I have a problem with that because from what we know of these characters in canon, we know that that's just not gonna happen. You know, she didn't write these characters to be this way. And, and so, I mean, I think that's the problem I have with it. It just stems from it not being what was in canon. And, you know, I know, I completely realize that all fan fiction has an element of being AU because even when you write it, you know, right after, you know, Order of the Phoenix or right after Half-Blood Prince and it dovetails from what the story said, you know, that's not what she was, not what JKR was going to write. It's just not what's going to happen. So all of it has an element of being AU, but I think that, you know, you have to, you know, well, not have to. I mean, everyone has artistic license, but, you know, you're given so much about these characters and their backgrounds that I think it's almost, in some cases, disrespectful to the characters to just say, okay, you know what? Um, I think Harry is a half centaur vampire dark elf Satan crossover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm I trying mean, to do math in my head. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ryan's trying I mean, to make honestly, exactly I, I am, I, I'm a huge fan of the Potter Sue's website. And yeah. somebody submitted a story on there where Harry was a centaur. And not only was Harry a centaur, Harry was a female centaur. <laughs> and Harry, uh-huh. the female centaur, got knocked up by, by a male centaur. Oh, okay, well. Alyssa wasn't wrong. And was he know. always a female centaur, or is it like he wakes up one day in third year? Uh, <laughs> it's like metamorphosis. He wakes up because you like... know what? I, by <laughs> Rena's own standard, if he was always a female centaur, it would actually be okay because you've gone all the way back and you've changed it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, one of my other favorite no AU no stories that I am hoping I can someday convince Ryan to let us cover on this podcast is by uh, an author named Creative Quill, and uh, she wrote a pair of stories, uh, Harry Potter and the Power of Truth and Harry Potter and the Power of Faith, I think are their names, and it's it's the same thing. They go back in the canon and they say, okay, well, this is, you know, this is this and this is that, and they draw that distinction, and, you know, that's what I like. They have to go back to the beginning and rework the canon for it to be believable. We actually, I think we were going to put that on at one point, and then we took it off, and then we were going to put it on, so we should get that back on the schedule. You probably took it off because I quit bugging you to keep it on. That was probably it. <laughs> so on that note, I think we've hopefully covered, you know, the most important element of chapters 11 through 23 of Living with Danger, which was bring your kid to work day never works out if you if you <laughs> kidnap the boy who lived. I cannot stress that uh, enough, and I... Have a lot of hopes for the um, for the rest of the story here because I'm feeling the fairy tale factor diminishing the more we get into, it, and that is always a good thing for me. More ominous stuff happens almost right away. I think this is the end of an arc. Yeah. Hmm? So yeah. And start of another it's one. Pretty. It gets yeah. pretty intense actually from here on out. Well, not intense necessarily. Not like nightmares of futures past intense, where it's like bah! angst all the time, but. It does yeah. get pretty serious. If Harry and lays will, on his couch for three chapters and does nothing but eat burritos and watch the Home Shopping Network, I'm going to have some issues with Lady Cheech. It's saying so. <laughs> <laughs> now, I will admit have I, that... Have, did I ever recommend that fic to you? No. no. I will admit that, you know, you talked earlier about Scott being a member of the pack. I will admit to being a lurker on their email group. <laughs> To keep up, so I can keep up with when the new chapters come out and stuff. And so my copy of the fic, I actually printed it off from the website. And the copy that I have actually has a couple of little extra snippets included mm-hmm. in it. And it talks about, um, like, one of them talks about the Cubs' first April Fool's Day. The, the, because, of course, being with Marauder parents, you know, April Fool's Day is going to be a very sacred event. And yep. there's one that talks about that. I know that wasn't in the posted story. <laughs> there's just a couple of little extra things on the store, the copy that I have. Uh, Anne writes a lot. There's there's <laughs> side stories all over. There's a sort of one shot compilation. She's called the Dangerous Date Book that has little s- yeah. snippets from Is she all writing of the stuff on our forum too. I was, mm-hmm. I was gl- there was a story about creature keeping a human child at Grimmel Place and raising it. Did I? Yeah, that's sort of a random idea that she's had. 
hasn't fleshed it out into a full story, but yeah, that was... Like, that's really cool, because I'm, like, about as creative as, you know, the guy who wrote the story about the Fritos, so sometimes, like, I like I, that, that, I just want to stress how much that stuff impresses me. So as we go out tonight, I just want to clarify one thing. As I've said, you know, the fairy tale thing is more of an, you know, the laws of this universe favor, you know, don't take themselves too seriously at times. But I think every great story, especially when you do something, you know, like we were talking, uh, doing um, Coven of Echoes, when you have a very serious scene involving, you know, children being hurt, you have to have the funny scene right before it about the man who thinks his dog is his wife. You need to have the comic relief. So towards yeah. that end, I just have to point something out. The downfall of Cornelius Fudge is brought on exclusively by the fact that Dumbledore allows, you know, felons on the run to overpower horrors to catch him wearing footsie pajamas. <laughs> and oh, as yeah. a result, and not, o- not only does he wear footsie pajamas, but they transport his bed to the atrium of the ministry and, like, attach him to his bed in his footsie pajamas. And not only does that lead to his downfall, it leads to the downfall of... Dolores Umbridge, whose comment to the press is, vengeance shall be mine. So, <laughs> you, yeah. they, like, Dumbledore couldn't even do this in Order of the Phoenix. He was so bewildered by the political process, he didn't know what to do. You mean to tell me footsie pajamas could have ended the whole damn thing and Sirius need not have died? <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. You never know. I just want to leave it right there. On that note, have a great night, everybody. See you back next week. Bye. Adios. Bye. Bye. Good night, everyone. We'll just be glad the fourth track was broke that day. Because you grabbed a guitar and I heard you say that the top of the pops better get ready for the new hit single from the Weasler goes from I like that. We're all like, bye. Scott's like, good night, drive safe. Okay, this is Ram brought on by both the um, 4th of July PFW cast and an associated rereading of the Dangerverse. The problem is, American authors, commentators, and the English universe of Harry Potter. I mean, problem in the podcast, for instance, Heidi in London. To quote its website... Over 7 million people are living in London, making it the biggest city in Western Europe. And yet, the idea of being able to hide in it just by, you know, a few anti-scrying spells and changing hair colour was scoffed at, on the basis that they'd be recognised. They're unlikely to meet anyone who would recognise them in a city of 7 million inhabitants. People disappear daily in London without turning up again. A British writer obviously would know this. An American can be forgiven for not, as can an American commentator. Similarly, the Dangerverse itself. We have references to danger driving a truck. That means a heavy goods vehicle to British people. An 18-wheeler. A lorry, whatever you want to call it. Not the sort of SUV-type vehicle that you might be thinking of. Equally... Mailboxes. We have letterboxes built into doors, not mailboxes at the end of a drive, as in the American, suburban, and 
there's a parenthesis stereotypical vision which is portrayed by Hollywood. So what's the problem with it? Harry Potter's not American, the setting isn't American, and the other characters aren't American. If any of those does become American, my disbelief becomes a lot harder to suspend, and I suspect that's true of a lot of the British people. They better be good or it'll lose me. I mean, as far as most things go, I will, to quote Shakespeare, piece out the imperfections with my thoughts. That's one imperfection which it is damn hard to overlook, because this is a British world, and it's a British universe. And to make it American is just a serious mistake. Now, I know this sounds like snobbery, and you're probably right, it is. But that doesn't make it any less true. Ryan. Ryan. Hit the button, Ryan. It's just been a dreadful day for Peoncast. We'll start with what happened to Gen 2. What happened to Gen 2? I feel really, really bad about that. Like, I really feel like it's my fault. Did you, wait, did you really break Gen 2's computer? Yes. It's ruined her life. She can't be with us. Richard is unable to join us. And Tina is unwell. I was, did like, messaging... Did Tina? Did I say it wrong? Don't mock me. And then you. we pulled Julia in off the street. This is take two of this one because we lost it completely completely last time so we've asked ryan to help us out and i was messaging him and he wasn't answering i think he was putting his groceries away my son started having the biggest crying fit i've ever ever heard i had to bribe him with a wiggles coloring book so that he would be quiet he's fine now <laughs> but i was just on top of everything else gen 2 is here and <laughs> now if ryan adds her in we can have like a most wonderful podcast ever Ryan didn't answer me. He doesn't talk to me. So offended. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. He does. Hello. Oh, you're here. Jenny, it's my fault. I just have to tell you this moronic idiot story. Here I am in like this big techie. Oh, I can do anything. I can fix my computer. I can take things apart. I am screwdriver woman. I'm not afraid of a computer. No, not me. PS says that the keys don't come off. Yes, they do. What do I do? I pull off my S key. And then the little mechanism that makes the key go bouncy, uppy, downy, you know, it won't go back on. And then I'm just like, oh, fuck, it won't go back on. I'm like, I can't live without S. S is a very important letter. S is in all types of words. Very distressed. Can you imagine what would happen on Pofa if you decided to not use S ever? There would be a revolt. It would be a disaster. There shall be no S's. So I send P.S. this note. I'm like, I'm not podcasting tonight. I have to get my computer fixed. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get this on there. I'm going to get this on there. I'm going to make this work. I can do this. I took it off. I'm going to put it back on. And then I'm looking at the little hooks, you know, and I ended up breaking the little hooks that hold the S key in place. And so I just spent 60 bucks buying a replacement laptop keyboard that won't come in the mail for another two days. And then I'll have to take my whole laptop apart and replace the keyboard and let's just hope that goes better than replacing the s key you think that i can just go through my life without seeing the s i'm just like well p.s my s key comes off i am yes and can't get it back on i may be worthless on you know talking about the fic tonight but 
<laughs> At least I made it. Even if you're boycotting the S. Throwing my whole well, evening, I lurch to see if you can get your S key to come off because I really do, and I'm staring at it. So I'm not going to touch it, but I really have the urge to just try. Don't touch it. No one Don't. else touch their S key. <laughs> do not try and take your keyboard apart. There are S's in the title of the fic that we are covering tonight. Oh, nice segue. Who would want a crit ma like none other? This is the story we are covering tonight because there are no S's on Beyondcast. So it's not even Beyondcast. It's Beyondcast. I would have to be P. <laughs> yes, I love you. Oh, wait, I mean, Blood Rin, I love you. I don't want to use PS because we're not allowed to use S's. Crap. This quite possibly is worse than Mike tripping over his own computer and separating it into two pieces. We need to officially start this podcast. And you know what I'm like when I do this? I stuff it up. Hi, welcome back to Peoncast, and I'm Keza. Mike. I'm P.S. I'm Gentoo. I'm Julia. And I'm Melinda. We are covering a fic written by... Melinda. This makes it our first official author interview here on Peoncast. We should try doing no S's. Well, Harry Potter pulled his invisibility cloak <laughs> tightly around <laughs> his body. <laughs> Attempting both to heal himself. Oops, no, I did it. He can't That turns it into a fic about Harry Super Elf. You know, there's a fic out there you know, where he's high elf and he goes off and becomes a super elf or something. No, it would be an super elf. Have you ever announced the fic before we call it? Yeah, it, it's a crit, Matt. Like, no, I... Hey, what's a crit, Matt? Christmas. Oh! Christmas no S. I think I understand now. A Christmas. Okay, not a crit, Matt. <laughs> It's just Christmas in the West. Uh-huh. Okay, so now that we've got that out of our system, I hope. <laughs> Don't count on it. Are we doing comedy? I hope we're doing comedy because we've laughed too much for it not to be. Melinda can tell us about the fit, please. <laughs> Use an S if you feel the need. It's really not compulsory. I think I have I'm to use giggles less. now. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good thing we're not parcel mouths. <laughs> Melinda, tell us about the fic. Serious and very serious. Um, it's a challenge fic, isn't it? It's a challenge it's... fic, yeah. This was a side challenge, and it was an engagement challenge. There was another author at the time, Jacqueline Hawkins, her name was. She came up with the idea of the story, so it was all her criteria. And then just a couple days after announcing the fic, she passed away. She had been sick for a while. So most of the authors that pitched in on this one did it for her. The twins were in a lot of them, so I think that they might have been part of it. I really honestly can't remember the exact requirements of the story now. I think it had to be Christmas, and the twins had to get in the way of Harry proposing to, that was the challenge parameters as I remember them. Yeah, that sounds so about right. that's why you stuffed the Weasley twins in a cupboard? <laughs> yeah, that was my gift to Molly. That was a nice gift. She enjoyed it. I like that bit. I like that bit. Let's just skip to the end. Why should we do anything in order today? It's just not going to happen. <laughs> Uh, sorry about Fred and George, Mrs. Weasley. I'll let them out. Don't you dare. You're not about to ruin my best Christmas present. I've tried for years to find a way to contain those two. I'm going to have one unruined Christmas breakfast while I can. It won't do them any harm to sit in there and stew a while. <laughs> well done, Molly. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Can you imagine them? Everyone's having breakfast. Uh, Fred and George are sitting in the cupboard going, let me out. 
Let me out. I'm starving. <laughs> I'm dying in here. Let me out. Because they had been a bit of a nuisance. Well, they were trying to help. They were trying to help. Fred and George style, so they just kind of went over the top of it. Yeah. It's also interesting to look at it from the perspective of Harry in the cupboard, because it's, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but for Harry to shut somebody up in a cupboard must be big, because he was always shut up in the cupboard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice little poetic justice there, I think. And I think that it really, it says a lot about his character and that he was just like, ah, enough already! Into the cupboard! And, but like, as a joke, <laughs> rather than just forcing them in there. I think that's pretty cool. Oh, he's not well, freaked out about after dating Ginny now for the year at school and now continuing in this fic for a while, I think probably broom cupboards have stepped up a few notches <laughs> on his <laughs> list of places he wants to be. Why is it that broom cupboards are the most overused snogging place in all of fandom? Everybody, I like, these people can't sneak off into empty classrooms. I would never do it in an empty classroom. The teacher might come back. Yeah, but broom cupboards would be smelly. I'm trying to get down with someone. I don't need to be, like, knocking into I think the idea behind it is that it's very hard to get any privacy at Hogwarts, and so maybe the broom cupboards are the only place that afford them any privacy. Like, at least in my school, growing up, I remember people, you'd be kissing on the bus, you'd be kissing in the hallways, I mean, it was never... I wonder if a boarding school is more strict because they have a bunch of young people living away from home, that maybe they just are a little more strict. So Fred and George go into this jewelry store, and who is in the jewelry store but Harry and his invisibility cloak? Let's just say that I love the line, Look at all this stuff, Fred said, his eyes scanning the vast expanse of jewelry, and all designed to help some poor sod get himself tied to a ball and chain. Pity the fool, George said, removing his hat and holding it over his heart. You don't suppose, Fred asked, a startled expression crossing his jovial features. What? asked George. That's... Harry, don't be daft, George said. Harry's a fine bloke, and I know Jenny loves him, but I don't think there's a romantic bone in his body. (laughs) (laughs) Did they know that Harry was in there? In my mind, they didn't, no. Jenny could tell that he was under the cloak. Jenny's feelings for him are different than Fred and George. (laughs) Well, you know... (laughs) How did she know he was there? Just it does. She, she does that in Deathly Hollows, too. Why don't you do it in yeah. Deathly Hollows? When, when he's he... going to die. I didn't think she knew he was there. She was she out did. on the lawn with the girl who had been eviscerated. And she turned around when he went past. She sort of paused and she oh, knew that he was... Rush of wind. Just, I thought she just sensed the movement. No, she sensed him. She just sensed him. Not to be the unromantic guy here, but color me skeptical. If you told me he used cologne but she smelled and she knew it was him or... It might have been something as simple as that. I mean, Harry always recognizes the smell of her hair even before he pinpointed exactly what it was. That was one of the things that attracted him to her. He just recognized yeah. that scent. So th- there just might be something right. Is something like that I can see? Do you think he was honestly putting on cologne every day during Deathly Hallows? <laughs> <laughs> Mike, have you ever gotten that feeling where you know you're being watched even if you can't see who's watching you? Not really, to be honest. Really? It's like that. But it's like, like you can you can just tell even though you can't see it. Like You just kind of get this like creepy feeling like some Behind me. I guess my feeling is I have trouble accepting a kind of sixth sense thing. If you tell me that it's based on, you know, like she knows what he smells like, things like that, not to be unromantic. You don't, you don't do well with things that aren't scientific, do you? Not logical, anyway. I'm a logic. This is Harry Potter. How much logic is there really in it that you want? <laughs> <laughs> You're such a boy, Mike. Accept it. She can just tell. She had a feeling she knew. Move on. Is this why you thought that fic was creepy, Mike? A bonding story? I thought it was really creepy. No, but even in real life, I mean, I don't know, have you ever had a relationship with someone or two, any of you are married, if your husband or your wife 
comes into a room. Even sometimes, I mean, you just look up and see them there. You just know that, that they're there. That happens to me every that, day. It happens to me all yeah. the time. Every day. Connected to him. It's There's the same thing. You, I can't sleep well if he's not in the house. It's like that. I get that she can sense where he is under the invisibility cloak, but Fred and George can't because, you know, they're not attached. But I think one thing Fred, Fred and George, George have that guy that. persona. They need the logic spelled right out for them. <laughs> I like the mistletoe. Harry and Jimmy, leave some room for the Holy Ghost. <laughs> The day after we talked about that the last time, about the Holy Ghost, it's a Bon Jovi song, Bed of Roses. Bed of Roses. There's a line in it. I, I he is close to you. He's close the to Holy the Holy Ghost, 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 Ghost or something Ghost. like that. And it just yeah. made me laugh. Chased. Remus and Nymphadora. Honestly, this isn't the restricted section. Take it home. <laughs> Bill and Fleur. Now, now that's reminding everyone you're newlyweds. You're a genius for having thought of that. Can't you just see friend George coming up with something that would say these things, scream them out loud, though? I could see that. Harry's robes. Harry's bright red robes. Yeah. Men don't wear red. I think we talked about this the last time because Richard was having yeah. trouble with it. But you have a girlfriend oh. who's got you to wear something that you didn't really want to wear. Oh, there's this That's scene. Has anyone seen Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Uh, Mr. Kezzer and I went to the movies and we picked this movie randomly and then we were like hiding because it's got nudity in it. I was like, oh. But there's this scene in it where Sarah Marshall has this new bloke. She's picked out this shirt for him and it's completely not him. She sort of pouts, you know, oh, you would wear it for me. And she thinks about the other guy that dumped that's like pining after her there's this scene with a succession of him wearing this bunch of dorky shirts and ridiculous hats all because she asked him to and it's sort of like that's love she's reminiscing and thinking he really loved me because he wore the shirt and then the next scene is her new rock star boyfriend wearing this pale yellow shirt with flowers on it You wear the most ugly things because of love. <laughs> I can't decide whether or not I should admit that I like red. Actually, I love Harry's, red. I think Harry's coloring would look really good in red. I'm sure he it does. Is. But I think maybe but, a deeper shade of red than the, like, Santa that you put him in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's very festive. I think anything goes at holidays. Oh, that's true. I forgot. We're talking about Christmas, which is the time when everyone wears cheesy sweaters. The muggle I have never of the reindeer sweater. Oh, Bridget Jones does. Sorry. Oh, I'm wearing. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you seem to go out of your way to try to make me feel like a complete idiot every time I see you. I'm sorry. I can't that. help it. I'm seeing Colin Firth in ugly jumpers now. <laughs> I do not need a blind date. I forgot about that. <laughs> sorry about that, cousin. There's nothing wrong with Colin Firth, but his jumpers leave a lot to be desired. <laughs> Probably took them from Bill Cosby's closet. <laughs> Bill Kobe, because there's no S's on P on Cat today. <laughs> Bill Kobe's cloet. Well, wardrobe, if you want to be British about it. There's no S in wardrobe. <laughs> S is the letter that shall not be named. 
You lost me. It really okay. lost me. I've gone completely nuts. Usually we're a lot more, you know, organized and it's Usually been a I'm very trying topic. day. Usually I'm the off topic one and you're the on topic people. Okay, well do something on topic for me then. Ask a really deep and meaningful question. Could you tell us a bit about the different challenges and what's easy and what's difficult about writing a one shot compared to the longer stories you've written? You can plot out more with the long ones. Like with the one shot you just have that one chance to get it all in there and sometimes it's nice just to have it done and quick and over with especially if it's just a quick plot bunny in your head but I like the longer ones better just because you can play with things more you can do a lot more foreshadowing if I never post right away I always save up a bunch of chapters before I start posting so it's easier to if all of a sudden something changes or if you get an idea oh, I can put clues into this before. So it's just easier to plot a whole thing out, I think, with a longer fic than it is with the one shot. You just got to get it and make sure it's right because you don't have any chance to go back and fix anything. Do you, do you ever get tempted to write more chapters? Like when you finish this, is there ever the urge or do your readers ever urge you, like, I want to see a sequel, I want to see what happens? Not with this story so much it hasn't. The first one shot I ever wrote, again, it was for a side challenge. It's called Centrifugal Force. And I still, to this day even, I'll get some reviews on that every once in a while and people have always asked for a sequel. So that's the only one I've ever toyed around with the idea. Because even now when I read Fix, I like the post-order of the Phoenix ones. And that was a post-order of the Phoenix one-shot. So that's the one I always toy with the idea of maybe going back to. When I first read that one, my first thought was that I wanted to see more in that universe. I've had a lot of people say, can we have the rest of the summer from that story? So that's the one. Every once in a while, I'll pick it back up and look at it. No plans to do it, though. What is in your future plans? Do you have fic in your future? I'm playing with something. I don't know if it's going anywhere. Are you an outliner and a planner? And do you have things all blocked out? Or do you just sit down and type? I'm both. Power of Emotion, very much it was by the seat of my pants. I just sat down and went with it. Curse of the Damned was much more outlined. And then Seventh Horcrux was structured. I had a really tight outline of everything. Power of Emotion was more of a character study, I think, than a really plot-driven story. And I'd like to get back to that, so I'm, I'm trying to do it without my outline right now. But I think that might be what's holding me up so much. So I've, I've started plotting things out a little, and, and as soon as I started doing that, it started flowing a little better. So it's a, a little of both. Fans, or people who read fan fiction have gotten a lot tougher than they ever used to be, too. I mean, they have very strict and very rigid demands of what they expect and what the characters would do. I think fandom has gotten a lot more rigid, especially now that the canon is finished, and we've got such complete and well-written characters. I think the challenge for really good fan fiction is to be able to write your fic within the framework that Joe has set for you. And so far, I think you've done a really good job at that. What sort of advice, as a writer, would you give to people who are reviewing? I love reviewers that will just pinpoint what it is that they liked and what they didn't because then it's easier for me to see what's working and what isn't. As for what I don't, Jen, I hope it's all right if I use your fix. I, oh, I no, go ahead because I was going to bring it up. A reviewer <laughs> who was having a fit over the fact that Harry swears and I was reading it and it's like, okay, you don't like the swearing. Fine, but the fic is rated R. It's kind of like a personal choice. So if that's not what you like, then if you don't want a rated R movie, then you can't just go see it. But you can't well, I, be reading you know, someone's I, fic and just tell them that they keep having to stop swearing. If, if And I mean, I even had commented and said, if you don't like it, please don't read the next chapter. They read the next chapter. I mean, I- even in canon, J.K. Rowling was writing for children, so she wasn't blatantly saying what the swears were. What do people think that they were alluding to when they were using the term effing? <laughs> But also, I mean, they're young men now. They're growing up. And especially when guys are with guys, the language gets a little colorful. But it's not up to everyone to say, you're not allowed to do this. That sometimes gets 
on my nerve. I think the canon is very subjective, and there are a lot of things between the lines. Everybody takes something different away, and you can find what you want there. So just as I can say, well, I have instances where Harry is swearing, somebody else can look at it and say, well... Ron is doing it here, but he's not. I think that you can find the points to your argument however you want, depending on which books you look in. She was writing for children, and so myself, I'm writing reading, to an adult audience. So I remember plus, reading an interview where she actually wanted Ron to swear, but her editor talked her out of it and said, you need to not do that because it will affect the readership because that right. it is written for children. Because there's a lot of times where it will just say in the narration that Ron swore, but it won't say what he said. Do the reviewers ever influence how you write? Like, is it more of a collaborative process, or is it kind of, or is it more just feedback for you? It's mostly feedback. There were a few people who really, really disapproved of drinking. I got a few of the, oh, you shouldn't have them drinking. It was underage. That was the biggest request I would get. I want drunk Harry back. I want drunk. So I knew in the next fic, I was like, all right, we got to do another something with drunk Harry because most people seem to like that. So I put up little warnings like, if you don't like it, just skip it. Why would JKR create fire whiskey if she didn't want it to be used? <laughs> Can you? Yeah. Your friend George waiting till they're old enough to drink fire whiskey. Isn't that going to be a challenge for them? Sure, they like went into the hogshead and had some when no one was looking. <laughs> I'm sure Everforth gave it to him. Sorry, did you guys just hear my dad come in and ask if my mom told me about the Segway tour? I did. I yes, wonder I what did. that was. <laughs> they just got back from Minnesota. My mom is a real Red Sox fan, and so my parents went to Minnesota to watch a game. Now you're all about to meet my dad. Hi, dad. Hi, dad. Hi, dad. Hi. <laughs> the peon cast says hello. Uh, Mom told me what a Segway is. Let me see the t-shirt. <laughs> is it very win? Dad, how did the Sox do when you were there? Oh, good. They lost two out of three. Magical yeah. history tour, Segway tours of Minneapolis. Very nice. It's yellow. Hufflepuff colors. Cute. Bye. Okay, sorry. My dad's a Yankee fan, and so he really just went along to see the Twins. But my mom's a Red Sox fan. Keza, yeah. say the Red Sox suck. No, don't say it, Keza. Oh, they do. I don't, I don't need Keza to say it. I'll say it. The Red Sox suck. Didn't Richard get me to say the Yankees are stupid? Because he lost yeah, what it was that you said. <laughs> You know what? I'm the person who doesn't know when New York is on the map. Like, I know what I'm saying. <laughs> Writing a Segway is hard. Segway? Is that like those gladiators? You stand on it and it scoots. Sometimes policemen use them. They're like a scooter, but you don't sit down. You just stand on them. You haven't huh. seen them in the city? I probably have. I saw them. They used to be brother. I probably have seen it. I just probably haven't put the, you know, the name to the image. I have a picture of people on them. I've actually not seen that. Do they have a motor? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. Yay! I knew what it was. <laughs> Those police officers look really lame riding that, I have to say. No offense to them, but they look better to be wearing a helmet riding one of those as a police officer. I feel really stupid. <laughs> Yeah, that is really lame. They do look a bit dorky, don't they? Dorky, and why aren't they in the same they're, uniform? Maybe they're different kinds of policemen. Well, that's just strange. Um, and they're, wait, they're writing these inside, too. Like, why aren't they walk? Okay, it's lame on a number of levels. Maybe there's, like, some <laughs> massive emergency. They don't look like they're on the way to an emergency. The one on the right, he looks like he's smiling. And the <laughs> one on the left, he looks like he's rolling his eyes, like, this guy's weird. <laughs> It, it also looks, looks stupid like in that helmet. <laughs> Maybe it's some sort of advertisement for the Segway. What are they yeah, doing? Anyway, <laughs> we don't need to talk about the strange looking policeman anymore. <laughs> I should probably go pay attention to my child who yeah. is, um, uh, you know, wandering the house aimlessly. Probably needs feeding <laughs> or something. I don't know. <laughs> He's already broken a lamp. He comes in, Mom, because he knew I was recording. He's like, Mom, I broke the 
broke a light? <laughs> he was jumping on the couch and he's pulled one of the wall lights off the wall. I don't want to talk oh, about dear. it. It's too traumatic. It's all right. It's the one that's already broken. Okay, then. Any final thoughts about this fic? I love it. I love it because it was... it's Harry Ginny fluff like and it's funny it. and it's got Weasley twins in it doing crazy mistletoe things and getting stuck in a cupboard and it's fantastic. It's fun. And Ron reminiscing about food. I enjoy that part too. Yeah, the food oh, part. <laughs> I love Ron and food. I like Ron and food too. It's like peanut butter and jelly. Ron and food. <laughs> or railroad track. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Enough with the railroad track. <laughs> Wait, did I miss something with the railroad tracks? It only gets worse. On the railway track, his heart was all a flutter. Train came rolling down the track. Toot, toot, peanut butter. Ta-da! That's the end of Peacast this week. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what are we doing next week? Falling Free by Electo. It's a puppy fit. Remus Sirius is what that means. Yes, that's what it is. And it will be fun and exciting. And we'd like to thank our special guest peons today. Thanks Thanks for having me. For doing this twice. Bye. 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 Well, I hope he pressed the button that time because I never got an answer whether or not he did. (laughs) 